right, everybody, welcome to your May 9th edition of Cascadian Views. We've got Dan and Chris uh, with me here today. It's a beautiful, sunny spring day, except if you're Chris, uh, in which case you've just got a bunch of snow <laughs> dumped on you. Uh, the, the nation is still in the grips of coronavirus. Uh, we haven't had a whole lot of news uh, in some weeks, and we've had pretty much uh, normal weeks in other cases. Uh, we're going to cross 80,000 dead today, uh, either today or at some point early tomorrow morning. Um, <laughs> other than that, not a whole lot going on. Uh, but let's let's go through the coronavirus adjacent stories this week. Uh, a bunch of the White House has coronavirus. Uh, Trump's personal aide, um, a body man, but I guess not the body man, uh, has it. Pence's valet, Pence's spokesperson, who happens to be Stephen Miller's wife. and then Ooh, Which like was that. the most surprising part of the story for me. <laughs> that it wasn't Stephen Miller? <laughs> no, that Stephen Miller was married. Oh, yeah. I, actually, that happened fairly recently. That only yeah, happened like six or seven yeah. months ago or something like that. Wasn't even that long. I thought it might have even been this year. Oh, shit. Yeah. Maybe. Um, oh, corona time, man. <laughs> Um, yeah, the 11 Secret Service officers, I think, was a big one for me. There's not that many Secret Service officers. Like, you, compared to, you know, say, a branch of the military or the FBI or something, there's really only a handful of them. I think, right. like, 700 agents or something like that. So 11 out of that pool is actually a pretty big intrusion, uh, considering all of these people have extremely, like, close contact with high-level government officials. I mean, that, that would scare the crap out of me if I was in government. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing should if you work in the West Wing. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, Pence, Pence has two people in his orbit now uh, with this. Are there any, did you guys see any plans to, like, retest him or anything like that? I thought they were testing all of the top people pretty regularly was my understanding. I would hope so. I thought but. Trump was just the one test, and uh, he's complained about, you know, having apparently the early test and still the main test um, mm -hmm. is a very invasive swab that goes, like, up the up the nostril all the way into the sinuses, like, way deep back in there. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I guess he hated it. Um, and from what I saw, like, a month into the pandemic, they were trying to retest him, and he refused. I don't know if it's changed since then, but yeah. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there could be a silver lining that comes out of that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, on the the other side of that, but on kind of the same topic, um, both the Senate and the House have announced that they are not going to accept any coronavirus test for members. Hmm. Yeah, uh, McConnell and uh, Pelosi jointly announced that. I, I guess it doesn't look good politically when nobody in the country can get tested, but they were going to just test all the members. Yeah, but also a lot of them are well over 70, Super if not 80. old? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally get that. But, uh, yeah, they made a political decision that uh, it would look bad taking the test when, uh, you know, there's not enough tests out there for regular people huh. and both McConnell and Pelosi agreed on it so so that's 
that's an amazing feat yeah. itself. Yeah, they, they jointly signed a letter uh, declining the offer. I guess uh, kind of on that note, this is more of a local story, but Oregon's looking at reopening pretty soon in some very specific cases. Um, the governor's announced a plan where beginning in just five days on the 14th of May, mm -hmm. rural counties that never exceeded five total cases and have no cases currently can apply mm -hmm. to reopen. Um, and I guess 13 counties in the state have already submitted their applications. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I think Washington has something similar in place or coming up soon. Or Let me see. I know that Inslee has kind of stepped up a rather phased process for reopening. Uh, looks like we have yeah, five counties two. approved to move to phase two. Yeah. Hmm. So Columbia, Garfield, Lincoln, Ferry, and Pend array, which, unless I'm mistaken, are deep in the southeast of Washington state. Uh, but actually, the governor says 10 counties would meet the criteria uh, as eligible to bypass phase one and go straight to phase two. Um, five have actually applied, but three of them, uh, Jefferson County, Port Townsend, um, or Jefferson County, excuse me, uh, as aspirin mm -hmm. from the community, and then, uh, where's the other one? I'm getting lost in this article. Uh, but yeah, there's five other ones that have not applied yet, but uh, Inslee says it would be eligible. Oh, that's an interesting idea, doing it by geography. We've been slowly easing in that direction, but by, you know, like outdoor work crews that have fewer than X number of members and things like that being phased back in yeah oregon never banned outdoor work crews as long as they were able to maintain social distancing we allowed construction to keep going mm -hmm. washington uh closed down all construction pretty early uh but then opened that up i think that was the first thing they reopened was uh like two or three weeks ago they started allowing construction as long as they could maintain social distancing yeah you know the first measure that went into effect and as i recall there was some criticism for closing it down in the first place but yeah i mean i kind of get the criticism it is probably the one job that's most suitable for like good ventilation and you know spread out personal areas and whatnot like on the construction site you could easily structure things so that you're never within six foot of another person yeah um, California made some moves to uh, kind of deal with the coronavirus crisis that aren't exactly reopening, but they've um, Newsom signed an executive order that directs every single California voter to be issued a, uh, a nice. mail ballot. Uh, and the president had a bit of a meltdown about this on Twitter today. I don't know if you guys watched that, but... Apparently, he doesn't want a single one of these votes to count, and Democrats want vote by mail because then more Democrats vote and Republicans can't get elected. Which is saying the quiet part out loud. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, shit. SCOTUS is back in town. Uh, somebody flushed the toilet. That was the biggest news. <laughs> Did they figure out who? Uh, was it Eric Swalwell? No, it was Briar. <laughs> Uh, well, okay, I can't say I, I can't say it is for sure, Briar, but there is like a serious Scooby Doo sleuthing article on Slate that puts together a very compelling case. The other likely suspects, uh, people who leave themselves muted all the time and actually have to be like prodded to, they don't really understand how the phone works. They weren't likely candidates. Briar had earlier. Um, had a case where you could hear dishes clinking while he was talking, like he was finishing up his lunch. Um, so they know he's, he's fairly cavalier with doing other things while he's sitting on the court in these sessions. And also he, uh, he had a tendency to leave himself unmuted for long periods of time. Uh, and it was, the flush was directly after Breyer's questioning, after he had handed it off to somebody else. Like, he had finished up his questions, then got up, he go to the bathroom, and then you heard the flush. So, yeah, there, there's a pretty compelling case it was Breyer. Uh, that's funny. See, I initially had, uh, just vaguely had Clarence Thomas in mind, but now that you've said that, of course, he's asked, like, one question the whole time he's been on the bench. He's uh, well, probably always on mute. He's actually opened up. <laughs> in the uh in the telephone hearings he's been asking a lot of like things in them and making a lot of statements and whatnot people are are speculating he's trying to compensate for not being able to read body language hmm. because these things are done via audio now they, they don't have like camera setups or whatnot it's right it's all yeah. a, a conference call i can relate a little bit i certainly open up a little bit more over zoom but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's been actually one of the one of the stranger things about this. Yeah, uh, Clarence Thomas has found a little bit of a voice. Uh, but one of the no. decisions they actually made involves uh, old Chris Christie in New Jersey, and uh, well, it wasn't all that controversial in the court. The decision was unanimous, but uh, there's some controversies to the result. Uh, if you guys remember Bridgegate, uh, Christie was attempting to exact revenge of one of the few Democratic mayors who didn't endorse him for re-election. Christie was rather proud of racking up all these Democratic endorsements as a Republican. Uh, and so his office hatched a plan to uh, illegally shut down various traffic lanes uh, off the George Washington Bridge in Fort Lee, New Jersey, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah, um, and manufactured a bogus traffic study to shut these down and basically brought the entire fucking city to a standstill for like three days. Um, right. This was a, a prosecution uh, that happened underneath a fraud statute, wire fraud, um, and the Supreme Court ruled uh, that the conviction prosecutors had obtained was, uh, well, illegitimate. They, they quashed it. They... They stated that a fundamental aspect of the fraud statute is uh, obtaining property or money via this fraud. And since there was no personal gain, just political gain, uh, right. they, they could not be guilty of fraud. Arguably not even political gain, really, since it's just kind of a petty stunt to <laughs> punish somebody. <laughs> And did he even know that that's what was happening? It was just not at the time. Fuck no. him. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, at, at the time, he totally believed this was a real traffic study that the the port of, of New Jersey or whatever, Department of Transportation, had come up with in some typical, like, bureaucratic, what the fuck is going on, and was, like, frantically reaching out to everybody, including Christie's office. He had no idea they were even mad at him, trying to, trying to fix shit. Yeah. yeah. So petty revenge doesn't meet the statutory requirement. Yeah, which is kind of fucked. I mean, this was yeah. a big deal. I mean, it legitimately paralyzed a, a fairly large city. It's like 100,000 people. Uh, and, you know, the economic impact, that, that's a major bridge that flows traffic into New York City, the largest city in the country, mm-hmm. impact shipping. There's all sorts of, like, farther down the line knockback effects you get from the fact that, you know, a major crossing in New Jersey was effectively shut down for three days. And, of course, the ironic part is you could make a very good case that it preemptively blew up Chris Christie's chance at the nomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Made more trouble for him, for sure. Out of the game. Dan, I wanted to ask you this. Is, do you see another statute they could charge them under? Is it, Do the circumstances of the crime kind of fit the bill for anything that you know off the top of your head? Not off the top of my head. I mean, there may be some kind of... Uh, governmental ethics laws but it is of course new jersey still uh but yeah i mean fraud seems like the one that made the most sense just because they were lying about the purpose of what they were doing isn't like honest services denial some sort of of charge probably not criminal though no I, I could have I swore, know. like, if you had an obligation to provide honest services and we're not doing that, that was, like, an illegal act mm. of some sort. Yeah, I mean, that may be civil, but, yeah, I don't think that's a criminal charge. I could be wrong. Okay. So, uh, I, I take it we all basically agree with that decision uh, to, to quash the conviction, at least for what they had? On the most tactical sense, probably, yeah. I mean, it's disturbing that pretty much every time somebody gets convicted of some kind of corrupt political act, the Supreme Court ends up bailing them out, especially if they're Republicans now. But, of course, you know, Bob Menendez also ended up getting a pass. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ted Stevens got a pass. There's a lot. A lot of, you know people who get convicted of political crimes end up skating on it and that doesn't seem good no I, some of them were saved by other methods Lago got yeah. that pardon from Trump the Supreme Court didn't even want to free him right no because he did make money or attempt to make money yeah, <laughs> he was mm-hmm, he was mm-hmm. pretty clear that that seat was up for sale for cash that was blatant <laughs> absolutely uh all right, uh, and I guess in continuing legal news, uh, guess who's no longer going to jail? Yeah. Uh, Michael Flynn. Flynn, that's so gross. Yeah, the Department of Justice is dropping all criminal charges against him uh, for reasons, I'm sure. Right. Well, basically they were saying what it boiled down to was Yes, he lied to the FBI, but you know what? They were really improperly questioning him, so it doesn't matter. I don't think they were improperly questioning him. I don't think so either. So the the crux of this boils down to they had drafted 
a a motion to dismiss charges or something like that, um, which happens all the time. They had not filed a motion to dismiss charges. They had drafted it. If you're a good lawyer, a good prosecutor, you're preparing for a lot of things. Uh, you know, there are multiple theories of the case that, that people are allowed to present in a trial. The prosecution doesn't have to have, you know, one single theory of the case. Mm. And it, it just it seems like such a misunderstanding of the law that's being cheered by people who don't care to understand more. I mean, is it misunderstanding or is it just... I don't know what we're, we're talking about here is kind of this corrupt repayment of a friend of the president they've been meaning to do all along. Uh, yeah, actually, who, who was the – there was just a rapper talking about this. That, Wait, what? Yeah, there was just a rapper <laughs> talking about this, uh, about how the president should pardon Stone and pardon Flynn because those are your people, and if you don't stand by your people, what do you – Oh my God! Oh, tell me it wasn't Kanye. Uh, <laughs> hold on a second. Fifty cent. Yeah. It was fifty cent. Fifty. Okay. Everyone All right. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what. Right. Basically, this is like a. Uh, this is a good classic gang or mafia kind of thing, except it's being done by the Justice Department of the United States. Right. Yeah, these we're talking about a, a subculture that glorifies like Scarface and stuff. So yeah, I mean you don't want the Justice Department to be on the same page as much as we might admire admire the uh what's the term I'm thinking of? The the aesthetic or you know, enjoy <laughs> art. Yeah, this is not what we want from our Justice Department. Oh man. You know and basically I guess what alarms the it's very alarming to me and also it's the second time they've done this they also stepped into the middle of Roger Stone's sentencing and basically said that's way too harsh yeah that's right so this is a, yet another intervention under the uh, Bob Barr Justice Department yeah. where they're kind of unraveling even the slightest accountability that we're able to get for I don't even understand how campaign. you feel Stone was treated too lightly. The dude got one extra year for basically thumbing his nose at the court and flipping them off while peeing on the front steps of the courthouse for an entire <laughs> year. I would have doubled his fucking sentence. And they slightly gave him... suggesting that the judge should be killed. Yeah. yeah. They gave him one extra year on top of like the recommended sentence for the crime, and I think there are extreme extenuating circumstances justifying that he showed absolutely no remorse and no respect for the court's authority whatsoever throughout that entire thing How yeah so I mean, in my mind this is real banana republic kind of stuff and what i dearly hope is that it only has a few more months to play out before we have a yeah. new attorney general and a new administration and it is really scary to think of another four years of this kind of thing. Chris, it's scary. Like, when they're talking about Trump is today making the argument that mail votes are illegitimate and shouldn't count in the presidential election, no matter what anybody says. Like, they are actively laying the groundwork to to cast as illegitimate any election where he loses. Like, yeah. 
It was, it was scary enough when it looked like you know he was going to be a runner-up, a distant runner-up back in 2016 that he was going to you know stir shit for, as from a losing position. But as president, yeah, there's a lot more power there. Yeah. <sighs> Terrifying. <laughs> One American News uh, has an entire hour-long conspiracy theory today uh, about like exposed the the links between Soros and Obama and Biden and bill gates and the coronavirus and china and all this and it's it's all laying the groundwork for like viewing these things as completely illegitimate i (sighs) we're about to talk about some swing states and some polls so you know Mm -hmm. just keep in mind may not matter what everybody votes right yeah all right Chris, that's, that's your cue. You seem to be following the polling most closely of all of us. I've, I've kind of been buried <laughs> yeah. into my quarantine. Yeah, well, so a couple of really good uh, swing state polls came out, both for Biden and for Senate candidates in the past week. Uh, like there was a poll, there are polls in Texas and Montana that have him within the margin of error. And, you know, you could argue that if a Democratic candidate is seriously contesting Montana and Texas, then that's really not good news for the for the widely considered to be swing states. Bullock uh, may have some coattails in Montana. He was up seven points in one poll this week. Yeah, yeah. So that's the other side of it, that um, several polls have come out, including that one in Montana, that really show the um, Senate swing races are all swinging in the Democratic direction. Yeah, to like a serious degree Joni Ernst is in trouble Joni Ernst is in a tie in her race yeah in Iowa that's not one I expected us to be fighting for and we've had a way ahead poll in Colorado a way ahead poll in North Carolina way ahead polls in Arizona kind of consistently oh yeah um Kelly's basically measuring grapes for his office at this point there's no way he loses (laughs) He hasn't been down in a poll this entire race. He's outraised her a minimum of three to one in every single quarter. Like, if I don't wake up the day after the election and Mark Kelly's, like, not a senator, something happened. Like, there was a glitch in the Matrix. <laughs> then I hope you wake up and he is a senator. Yeah. Yeah. The There are two that I think people should really focus their money on. I, I love Kelly. Kelly's great. Kelly has enough money. Stop giving money to Kelly. Um, <laughs> Sarah Gideon in Maine is in an absolute dogfight. Yep, um, yep. And, it, and it's one she could win if she has the money. She was not a top-tier recruit, but she is a top-tier candidate. She is Speaker of the Maine Legislature. Uh, people in Maine know her. She just she needs to have the resources to fight. She is, she is tied nursing a small lead depending on who you talk to give her some money also cal in uh cal for nc uh right cal cunningham in north carolina is doing yeah. extremely extremely well much better than i thought he was going to be um i think that's also now a, a top tier pickup opportunity for us yeah like north carolina republicans are being dragged down in a big way by you know richard burr's just terrible behavior even though he's not even on the ballot this time around. But uh, I think Tillis is in pretty big trouble as a result of that, for sure. Yeah, and, you know, Cooper has turned out to be incredibly popular. They're, they're Democratic governor, Roy Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's up for re-election this year, and he looks to be a cakewalk. Uh, 
University of Virginia's Center for Politics, Sabato's Crystal Ball, just moved this one to to likely D. Uh, yeah, yeah. One step away from a safe seat for a Democrat in the governor's mansion. That's also not something I expected to see. He just squeaked in yeah. to that office. That's wild. Yeah, it was yeah. like 10,000 votes. It was really narrow. And Yeah, and now he looks to be cruising to re-election. Uh, which does not do good things for Tillis. If people are reminded that a Democratic governor is a, a good idea, maybe they'll start thinking Democratic senator is a good idea. Yeah. And that's also one of the states that a lot of the uh, state legislature-focused organizations are putting a lot of energy into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they've, they've been mostly kept in check on a lot of things by a Supreme Court that is popularly elected and democratic which is strange in the south but uh like it's a pretty solid democrat majority on the uh the supreme court of north carolina going back like a a a while now um and it's helped out quite a bit uh in terms of keeping some of the gerrymanders kind of in check and under control they've ordered new maps at a couple different points um yeah we, we seem to have a pretty good shot at taking that legislature uh, it also helps that there is a huge, huge scandal going on in uh, the University of North Carolina system that I don't know if I've talked about here. Um, you guys should it, – it's called Silent Sham. If you look around, you'll find it. Uh, the University of North Carolina, after a student protest uh, about a Silent Sam uh, statue, just a Confederate monument to a, a soldier named Sam, apparently. I don't know his name specifically. Um, yeah. It, it has a, a pretty long, sordid history. It was made by the original Daughters of the Confederacy back when they were the Daughters of people who had fought in the Confederate War and not 200 years later. Uh, they gave it to the uh, University of North Carolina system in perpetuity on the condition that it's displayed for all to see. Um, the Daughters of the Confederacy, the original organization, dissolved at some point. Uh, there is now a later Daughters of the Confederacy that reconstituted itself, a separate organization that granted its interest in Silent Sam, the statue, to the Sons of Confederate Veterans. Um, and they proceeded after the university decided to stick Silent Sam in a uh, just a warehouse for a while to to get rid of all these protests and people were defacing it and other people were like surrounding it with guns trying to defend it it was just a whole big thing so they stuck in a warehouse uh the sons of the confederate veterans uh then sued except that they didn't sue uh instead the board of regents for the of north carolina got together with their lawyer to tell them what to sue for <laughs> arranged the whole case uh and then agreed to settle it before the case was ever filed settled it uh, by giving them the statue, giving them uh, like hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay for its upkeep in perpetuity and its safety and to build them a small headquarters building on the same land that they would put the statue on. And then also gave them a cash grant of $1 less than the amount uh, that any state institution can give without needing approval of the state attorney general. Uh, This was then sued in a court by a judge or overseen by a court by a judge who was like best friends with the guy who ran that chapter of the university or the um, sons of confederate veterans and then all this came out in a student newspaper uh including some like sham filings uh that the board of governors had given 
to like the university president and stuff outlining what had happened and they were all fraudulent uh and then the judge who was friends with the sons of confederate veterans went back on his original ruling and changed it and that kind of threw everything into a loop and some people in the university might be facing some criminal charges and the sons of confederate veterans have already spent a bunch of the money that they got from the university under this fraudulent ass suit that was never even filed and that the university like helped write against itself and it's just a whole thing in north carolina media it's been like basically wall-to-wall coverage since december Well, if that helps us swing that whole state, I'm I'm for it. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry. The reason that this was all uh, related to this was it was totally done under the aegis of the former Speaker of the House in the North Carolina legislature. He kind of arranged the whole thing and set it up. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that was North Carolina and a long-ass story about a statue you don't care about. Uh, let's stay in that area, though. Um, Chris, there was an incident in Georgia that you seem to know quite a bit about that uh, people are calling a modern-day lynching. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, well, so what really happened, happened uh, I think, probably about two months ago at this point. And the story that, that the uh, guys who did it were saying were that they saw someone running there had been burglaries in the neighborhood. They thought it was a suspect. They were trying to make a citizen's arrest. Then there was a scuffle. And, of course, as happens when you try and make a citizen's arrest and you're scuffling, you kill the person. Happens um, to the best of us. Right. If I had a nickel. <laughs> right. And it just happens that these guys were white. It just happens that the person who they killed was black and was a jogger in his neighborhood jogging um but the kind of twist in this case was that the whole thing was caught on film and that i'm still not clear on the circumstances because it actually seems like someone sympathetic to them took the video (laughs) which is a little odd but the video started circulating this week and that kind of brought it to national attention and as a result they finally been charged um they were the local DA recused herself and they both had ties to the police department. So they were not even charged initially. And this understandably has become a, just a reminder of, you know, how this stuff still works in America. Yeah. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. Sean King was kind of pointing out like, you know, how many cases have you ever heard of two black guys out for a drive, saw a white person they thought was suspicious, tracked them down, killed them, and then were never charged with anything? You've never heard a single case like that, ever. No, it would never happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That's... Uh tragedy it was a guy and his son too um i don't yeah. know who thinks of that as like family entertainment yeah the uh 
kind of the flip side to that, uh, there was a group of armed black protesters who were escorting um, minority uh, legislatures into the state capitol building in uh, Michigan this week. I saw a post about that with some videos attached yeah. to it. Yeah. Fact, yeah. I think it was your post, Chris. Yeah, and I had kind of uh, I had a reaction to that. <laughs> My initial reaction to that, of course, was like, yay, good. <laughs> you know, finally, maybe the other side will understand how this kind of thing, like, isn't their exclusive territory. But then I thought, something about having armed rival militias kind of reminds me of countries that are falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and if it ever does come to traded shots again, you're not going to have equal treatment for both sides. So, yeah, it's it's terrifying. <laughs> it it feels like, you know, the militia movement of the 90s on steroids. Yeah. So I guess my um my posting in our group was kind of for some reason it just struck me to like Think of it in terms, think of it like if you didn't know the specifics, if you didn't know it was the United States, and you just heard that like armed protesters descended on a provincial government because they didn't like something the provincial government was doing, and then another armed militia started escorting members of the parliament of this provincial government around to protect them from the original armed militia, you know. You would think you were talking about like Lebanon in the 70s or something. Mm-hmm. Liberia or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, on that happy note, I think that's uh, just <laughs> about going to do it for us. So, yeah. Uh, like I mentioned, 80,000 dead since the start of the pandemic. Uh, we've still got a presidential election. Things are still happening. People are still dropping dead at a pretty high rate. That was one thing on our topic list that we didn't actually cover yet. Uh, yeah, it's still pretty high, and it's getting bigger in some areas of the, the country. Yeah, Six months to election, <laughs> nine months to inauguration. <laughs> yeah, if Hold there's on. another inauguration, it might be yeah. the same guy. We will have entered the darkest timeline. Evil Jeff will be around the corner with his one arm. <laughs> <laughs> We've been watching Community. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good have stuff. a good week, guys. All right, you guys too. too. Bye. Bye.